Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. All right, tonight, the title of my message is How to Be an Overcomer. And I had this thought going through, through my head for the last couple of weeks, is that I kind of have a choice of whether to be an overcomer or whether to be overcome. Have you ever had a week when it just seems like everything hits you at the same time? Like it's coming at you from all angles. You, you get a bit of a cold, and then there's, there's an argument you have with your coworker. There's a deadline you just got that you're not going to be able to meet that deadline and do the vacation you had planned or whatever else you had planned. Or maybe you lost a job. You got, you got bad news and... Like, it just all kind of seems to hit you at one time. You ever notice that? Anybody had a week like that? You ever see that sometimes those weeks kind of stretch out into maybe a month? Or do you ever feel like you just keep going, it's new things, but it's like the same week, it's like Groundhog Day all over again? You, You just keep ending up having these weeks where you feel like... I honestly don't know if I get another week like this, if, I'm, if, I can, if I can do it. I feel like I've become overcome by all of the things that are on me right now. And you pray, and you believe, and you post on Facebook, and you talk to your friends, maybe even try to worship, but you just don't ever feel like you can get out from under. You don't feel like you can gain the momentum that you really want. And you're waiting for that day when I just feel like I'm actually moving forward instead of digging myself out of the hole. Maybe it's not a hole you dug for yourself, but you just can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. Anybody have, this is a very encouraging message, right? But I want to help us tonight because that's actually not actually where God's called us to be. God has designed us to be overcomers. Not to be under the circumstances. I said that last week. I, I love it when I ask somebody, how you doing? They go, well, not too bad under the circumstances. And I always think, well, what are you doing there? Why be under circumstances? The call God has for us is to be over the circumstances, not under them. We're not a victim to the things of this world. We're not in a place where the darkness overcomes our light. If we're to be the light of the world, the salt and light of the world, I don't know about you, but I've never been in a place so dark that my flashlight doesn't work. I've never been in a, in a, in a woods late at night and I've turned my, my flashlight on, my headlamp on, or been lost and I've had to use my iPhone flashlight where it's so dark, the darkness just overwhelms the light. It doesn't work that way. We're a light shining in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what God's called us to do, but it doesn't always feel that way. (laughs) Can I encourage you that the disciples had a day like this? In fact, they've had a couple days like that. When you look at the disciples' three-year relationship with Jesus, I promise you, they never felt like they got a lot of momentum. They were constantly feeling like they were catching up. And actually, when Jesus left things in some ways got worse for them. 
the circumstances got worse, but they were changed. They were different. Their lives became an example of someone who was no longer a victim to the circumstances around them, but someone who understood that what's in me is greater than what's on me. Make sense? Let me share with you a couple stories. Can we do that? Can we read some Bible? Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We there? Great. Mark chapter 4. We've got it on the screens if you didn't bring your Bible. Mark chapter 4, and we'll look in verse 35. This, this might be a story that's familiar to you. You might be hearing it for the first time. But we're going to look at, at, at two different stories, but it's going to like, sound like it's a bit the same because they both involve a boat, they both involve a storm, and they both involve people. So let's have a look at these stories. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So Jesus has gone with them in the boat. Have you ever been in the boat in a storm? You ever been in a small boat in a storm? We were in Australia. I didn't tell Romy this. Um, but I took the kids out, actually Bella and Jai, on, on a little Zodiac. They call it a rubber ducky out in the bay. And uh, I discovered about halfway back that it was probably leaking. And it was taking water over the side. So the water, it's just a little rubber ducky and, and a Zodiac. And the water was about ankle deep inside the Zodiac. And the kids are like, hey, Dad, there seems to be a lot of water in the boat. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just keep going. We're good. And then it's funny how quickly the wind can change. And all of a sudden, it started to blow, and it's getting choppy. And of course, it's right then the motor starts sputtering. And I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. And you ever do that with your kids? And you're like inside, you're like already figuring out, is it blowing towards the shore or away from the shore? And your kids are like, Dad, and they're like, no, no, it's good. we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. You fake it till you make it, right? Maybe the disciples were doing that because they've got Jesus in the boat. Anyway, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Have you ever been with that kind of week when you're like, Jesus? Don't you care that I'm drowning? I have. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. (laughs) The first time, they're terrified of the storm. Now they're terrified of the one who calms the storm. <laughs> they were terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, <laughs> here's one of the things I love about this story. So, did Jesus know there was a storm that was going to come up? Did he? He's Jesus. He's the Son of God anointed by the Holy Spirit, operates in all the spiritual gifts that we have access to us, but he operates in them all perfectly. Of course he knew there was going to be a storm. He knew that it was going to be a bad storm, but he gets in the boat. He's like, he doesn't tell them. 
Don't you wish sometimes Jesus would say, look, I'm going to get you to do this, and there's going to be a really bad storm, but the end it's going to be okay? No. Jesus just goes, get in the boat. He doesn't always reveal what's going to happen after we get in the boat. He just wants us to get in the boat. And then he gets in the boat with him. But here's my favorite part of this story. He brings a pillow. Who does that? I'm going to get in the boat with you. There's going to be a bad storm, and I'm bringing a pillow. Maybe it was a flotation device. I don't know. But he gets in with the expectation that I'm going to have a nap. You're going to experience seasoned fishermen, been in lots of storms before. They've seen them before. I'm going to get in this boat with you, and it's going to be so bad that a seasoned veteran fisherman is going to freak out, and I'm going to take a nap. Man, I think it's funny. And here are the disciples. You can picture them in this storm. We have to save Jesus. He needs us. Row, row. We have to save him. And then they get to this point when they realize, I'm incapable of saving him or me. I love it when people start thinking they have to save Jesus. I've got to paint this picture of Jesus so that he doesn't look bad in front of everybody else. I've got to, I've got to help Jesus be relatable to the world. I've noticed that Jesus doesn't need my help. He just needs my obedience. But they're wanting to help Jesus. And they can't help him any more than they can help themselves. But then you look at Jesus' response. Can you go back one verse for me on the screens from that one right there? It says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? That's not a very logical question, isn't it? Um, because we were going to die? It's obvious why they were afraid, right? Do you still have no faith? Can I rephrase this? Jesus is asking them, why didn't you calm the storm? Why are you afraid? I'm in the boat. Now, the storm did not calm until Jesus rebuked it and said it. The storm did not subside just because Jesus was in the boat. The storm subsided when Jesus spoke to the storm and told it to be quiet. So just the fact that they had Jesus in their boat didn't calm the storm. But yet he asked them, do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? He's telling them, you could have done what I just did. If you had spoken to the storm with the authority that I've given you, the same thing would have happened. But yet Jesus brought a pillow. He's taking a nap. Do you know why? Sometimes Jesus is asleep in your boat so that you will wake up. He's waiting for us to respond knowing that He's there. And He wants us to wake up to the authority that we have already. I think I've wasted so many years of my life asking Jesus to do something that He's already given me the authority to do. And if we will step into the authority that He has for us, 
and get out from under the circumstances and start speaking to our storm instead of asking Jesus to do it all for us, we might see a lot more of these storms calm. Do you know what was on the other side of that lake? I want you to picture this. Jesus is standing at the seashore. He's looking at his disciples, and there's a couple of ways they can get to where they're going, but he says, get in the boat, and I'm coming with you. And there's going to be a storm. But on the other side of the lake was legion. Remember legion? We preached about that a couple of months ago. The man who was possessed by about a thousand different demons that were called legion. And it was in that place that as soon as they arrived at the seashore, the man with legion came running from the tombs down to the seashore because he knew that the one who landed there could set him free. And sure enough, he got set free. So you look at that storm and you think, maybe there's something more to this storm than just a natural circumstance. Maybe Jesus knew there was a storm coming because he knew what the spirit behind the storm was more than just about a natural occurrence that you just happened to be stuck in the middle of. Here, here it is again. Why does this always happen to me? Why do I keep ending up in the place where stuff just doesn't work out? Why do I keep ending up in a relationship that doesn't work out? Why do I keep ending up in a job that doesn't satisfy? Why do I keep getting sick? Why does this keep happening to me? Am I a magnet for storms? And we start to develop a mentality and even a theology that attracts storms because we don't understand the spirit behind the storm. The only reason that storm came up into their boat is because there was a man who was about to get set free from a thousand demons that nobody else had an answer for. They would lock him up and throw him in the, dun- in, in the, in the graveyard area because they couldn't have any answer for him. But the answer was in that boat, and his name was Jesus. So the storm that they encountered, the disciples didn't know. That sometimes you just got to speak to your storm because there's something on the other side of the storm that needs what you have. But if we think the storm is all about keeping us down and if we get this mentality that I just got to hunker in and survive this thing, we won't see what the freedom that's on the other side of that lake and I tell you that you're going to experience storms in your life. I, I wish I could stay up here as a, as, a, as a pastor and as a friend, as, as whatever. I wish I could stand up here. I wish the spiritual gift I had was to be able to prophesy storms not to happen in your life. But I'm sorry. Storms will happen. And they'll probably happen a lot. But I can also tell you, there's a lot of people that cross that lake every day that went to the same place that they were headed. And they didn't experience storms. There was probably people that same day on that same journey. They didn't have a problem at all. But there's only one boat that delivered that man from Legion. So I wouldn't worry so much about whether you'll encounter storms or not. I would focus more on what's on the other side of the lake. The disciples didn't know that's what they were encounter. 
But if they had known who was in their boat, and if they had known the authority that that person had already given them, I promise you that storm would not have seemed quite as insurmountable as it was. Are you following me? Jesus promised us that we would encounter storms. But we see in this story, even though you're encountering the storm, I'll be with you. He says, lo, I will be with you even till the end of the age. You know what? Can I read you another story? Matthew chapter 14. This is later. So that already happened, right? They had the storm. Jesus in the boat, lays down, brings a pillow, takes a nap, wakes up, rebukes him because they didn't rebuke the storm. They're like, okay, got that one. We could have rebuked the storm. Thanks, Jesus. Be honest with you. I'm glad you did it because I don't know if I had it in me to do it, but I'm glad you're here. But you said we could have done it. So somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm going to have to remember that one. Okay, you gave us authority to calm the storm. Got it. Got it, Jesus. Okay. And then we got the other side and man, Legion, that guy got set free of Legion. How cool is that? He, and then that guy went, by the way, and, and, and led a revival in his own hometown. So, okay, if we, if we understand that Jesus gives us authority to calm the storms, and if we get out from under our circumstances and, and gain the perspective of heaven on our circumstances, we'll see that there's freedom. Got it. Okay, I got it. Then Matthew chapter 14, a little bit further down the road, in verse 22, it says, immediately after this, G- not this past incident, this is immediately after chapter 12, 13, whatever. Anyway, you follow me? Okay. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake. They're like, all right, cool. We're getting back in the boat, go on the other side of the lake. I wonder if we're going to get a storm again. Maybe I'll bring a pillow this time too. <laughs> you know, goes the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, and after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Oh, wait a minute. Night fell while he was there alone. Is uh, Jesus coming? Is, is this, uh, he's, not, he's not in the boat. Um, did somebody forget Jesus? Where'd he go? Oh, he's up on the hill. He's up on the hill praying. He said, just go on without him. <laughs> okay. And they just start rowing. They start rowing. I don't know how this is going to work out, but last time we ended up in a boat like this, it was kind of rough. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Last time he's in the boat, now he's on the hill praying for them while they're in the boat. You see, if you're going to develop the philosophy that as long as Jesus is in my boat, everything's going to be okay, you're going to miss that sometimes Jesus ain't in your boat. But he's up on the hill praying. He's always with you, but there's moments when he wants you to step out into the authority you already have. And they were fighting heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, because somebody thought it was a good idea to cross in the middle of the night, Jesus, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost! Come on, you would have done the same thing, right? But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come. I love that. 
that the end of it? No. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. That's like their nickname right now, the terrified ones, right? They were terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now remember, when Peter stepped out onto the water, you're not, it wasn't a calm lake. Do you remember that? There were wind and waves, and it was pretty choppy. And this is not Lake Mount Trashmore. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a big deal. Although Lake Mount Trashmore, you'd have other things to worry about if you're walking on that water. Like the three-eyed fish. And um, Anyway. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When he climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth, but I'm imagining him in that moment going, you know I was always the Son of God, right? Like, I didn't just become the Son of God. They're like, you really are. It's like, I'm amazed at the times that they get, it's like, oh, you really are. It's like, didn't he like raise somebody from the dead earlier? And now it's like, how did you forget all that stuff that happens? But anyway. Um, they didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling yet, so maybe that's the reason why. But I just picture Jesus saying, hey, look, I was the Son of God even before this storm. There's a couple of things about this story that's a little different that I like. When you look at it, it the first thing it says is that Jesus insisted they get in the boat. He insisted. I want you to get in the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. I insist. Get in the boat. And then he doesn't go with them. There's moments when Jesus is going to insist that you get in the boat. I don't know what your boat is, but I know that whatever it is, it's just being obedient to the thing that God's told you to do. One of my favorite preachers growing up, Charles Stanley, I used to watch him on TV when I was a little kid. And uh, he used to say this all the time, and and it really struck with me. He said, if you have not heard from God in a while, then go do the last thing he told you to do that you haven't done yet. So that's good. Then maybe the reason God hasn't told you the next thing is because you didn't do the last thing he told you. Like when my kids ask me, can I go play at my friend's house, but they haven't cleaned up their room yet? And they want to know, well, can I? I'm like, I don't know, because you haven't done the last thing I told you to do. So I'm not sure I can answer this question because you haven't done the last thing I've told you to do. I think sometimes Jesus is just wanting us to be obedient. Whatever your boat is, sometimes God's just going, just get in the boat. Just get in the boat. Just get in the boat. Well, God, am I ever going to... What about, what about the job that I'm looking for? I'd get in the boat. Do the thing I told you to do. Well, God, I mean, what if they take advantage of me? And God's saying, I, I told you to get involved. Like, I know church, this is not a, like a plug for volunteers here. Maybe it is. Um, But I know sometimes people are like, God's going, I want you to go to them and tell them, what do you need I'm in? What do you need I'm in? It doesn't have to be here. That's that's what I'm saying. But that's happened to me. And there's a side of you that goes, but what if they take advantage of it? Because I've been taking advantage of that before. And God doesn't answer. Because you said, get in the boat. There's been no moments I know financially where God's put it on people's heart to begin to give. But God, the last time I did that, they cheated the church. They cheated whatever. And God goes, just get in the boat. 
Just get in the boat. Yeah, but there's so much. Get in the boat. Just do what God told you to do. <laughs> if God spoke to you, stop going to Seashore Church and go to this, move to another country, go to this other place. Can I tell you, get in that boat. Nothing's holding you here except what God has spoken to you and your obedience to Him. Amen? I want to encourage you to get in the boat. Jesus insisted that they get in the boat. Now, He insisted this knowing the storm was coming. And although Jesus doesn't cause every storm, sometimes He sends us out into storms on purpose. I don't want you to develop a theology that Jesus caused the storm to create a test for His people, right? Because I actually think the first storm, I think there was demonic influence on that. That wasn't Jesus trying to do this to test them. So Jesus doesn't prevent every storm. Sorry, Jesus doesn't cause every storm, but sometimes he sends us out into it anyway. Now, I'm a dad, right? I've got three beautiful kids. Am I ever going to send my kids out into something that I know they're going to get hurt? What father would do that? If I know that if I sent my kids to do something, they're going to get physically hurt, I would never do that, right? But if I knew that my kids could do something, but there's an unnatural fear in them that's keeping them from yes, I am going to encourage them to go do that thing. Maybe it's, I'll take the example like for, for Liam riding a bike. When he learned to ride a bike last week, <laughs> just seeing if he was still awake, he learned to ride a bike when he was four years old. And when you're the first kid and you haven't seen your older brother and sister do it, it's a lot scarier than if you're the second one, you know what I mean? And so I remember holding on to the back of that seat as I'm pushing this little four-year-old, and what's he telling me? Whatever you do, Dad, don't let go don't let go, don't let go. And after a while, he doesn't realize that I'm barely holding on to him. And once he gets the momentum, he'll be fine. And so there's a moment when I just go, Liam, I'm going to let go. Don't let go. Dad, don't do it. But I tell him, I'm going to let go. What am I telling him? Get in the boat. And sure enough, I let him go. And watched him ride his bike beautifully. And then I realized I forgot to tell him how to turn around. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was omniscient right now and realized that. But he's a smart kid. He learned how to turn into the grass and then crash in the grass. And he turned around and he goes, yeah! See, as a dad, I'm not going to purposefully send my son into something where I know he's going to get hurt. I'm not going to take him on his bike and go, Princess Anne Road, here you go. (laughs) But War Admiral, here you go. And then he realizes that he can do something he didn't know that he could do before. That's what God does with us sometimes. When he says, get in the boat, when he's telling you to do something, And all he requires is your obedience. You just got to trust that he is good. He's a good father. 
We don't just sing that song hoping that he'll become good. We sing it because he is good. And God doesn't have to demonstrate his goodness to me for him to be good. He already is. And if I understand that, then I can get in the boat because my dad's good. He doesn't push me into things that are going to harm me. Do you follow me? (laughs) The first time Jesus is in the boat, the second time he's just praying on the hill. It's the training wheel moment. He takes the training wheels off sometimes. Those moments when you really feel his presence, those moments when I feel like he's right there with me, like I can sense him with me, those are those in the boat moments. But can I tell you, sometimes he's going to ask you to get in the boat and you're not going to feel his presence. You're going to have moments when you feel completely alone. But I don't have to feel it in order for him to be there because sometimes he's praying on the hill but if I know that he's still giving me the authority to pick up scorpions and serpents and drink deadly poison then certainly I can face whatever storm he's got in front of me right now let's get out from under the circumstances and let's get over them here's one more example when Jesus fed the 5,000 you know that story when he fed 5,000 people I didn't put this scripture up there But the disciples came to him with the problem, and they said, Jesus, all these people have followed us, and they don't have any food. Send them home so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus turns to his disciples. You know what he tells them? You give them something to eat. And I've always thought about that. You give them something to eat. Was this just like a rebuke? Like, you didn't plan well enough. You should have ordered food trucks to come here so that they would have had something. You should have sent the email out to everybody to tell them, make sure you bring food because there's not, you should have prepared better. No, he said, you give them something to eat because Jesus never asks you to do something that you're incapable of doing. He's saying, you give them something to eat because they could have done the exact same thing. I love that. Jesus sometimes is on the mountain praying so that you will see the miracle happen. He tells Peter later, he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. This is right around the time of the crucifixion. And he says, but I'm praying for you that your faith may endure. Jesus knew he was going to be separated from Peter for a while, but it's the same picture of him being on the hill praying for Peter when he's sitting by a campfire and they're going, weren't you with Jesus? I'm praying for you that your faith may endure. And when you have endured, go strengthen your brothers. Whether Jesus is sleeping in our boat or up on a hill praying, the message was the same. You could have done this. Luke 10, verse 18 and 19, Jesus tells his disciples, he replied, he, he sent out, uh, not his disciples, he sent out the 72, and they came back with these incredible stories. He, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. It was the first time the Holy Spirit had been imparted. This was different to Pentecost. He imparted the Holy Spirit into them uh, for a time, though it wasn't indwelling. He, he gave them the Holy Spirit and sent them out. You see, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it came to stay. It doesn't come and go. At this moment, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them, sends out 72 people, and they see signs and wonders that they had not seen before apart from Jesus. They were doing the stuff. It was always the Jesus show. But now Jesus imparts them the Holy Spirit. They go out, and they're seeing incredible miracles happen through their own ministry. The stuff that Jesus was telling them on the lake, they were actually doing. 
On the lake, they didn't feel like they had much authority. But now that they've been imparted the Holy Spirit into them, they are seeing these incredible miracles. And so they're coming back with the stories of what's happened. Jesus, you're not going to believe what happened. Oh, I'm not, am I? (laughs) Do you believe now? They come back with these great stories, and here's what he tells them. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Jesus is not given to hyperbole. Jesus does not exaggerate. He's not trying to convince you of something by exaggerating it more than it really is. So when he says, overcome all the power of the enemy, Nothing will harm you. It's not poetic license. It's real. He says, I saw Satan fall. Do you know why Satan fell? Satan fell to the earth, God says, to be a spectacle before men. You ever wonder that? Why did God give Satan free reign over the earth? Isn't that cruel? Why would he let Satan on the earth and just loose him to do whatever he wants? What father allows access to something like that to his kids? But then God goes, that's not why I threw him to the earth. To torment you and to put you into bondage and make you sick and keep you poor and make you second guess yourself around every corner. I threw him to the earth to be a spectacle before you because I have given you power over the enemy. I have given you power over your circumstances. The same authority that I gave to Adam, I won back for you. So what fear of storms could we possibly have? I look at that story of Peter walking on the water. And I ask myself questions. The biggest question I ask is, why did he sink? And I try to read these stories and put myself in the situation. And my first reaction is, well, uh, because it's impossible to walk on water, that's why he sunk? Like it's a physical impossibility for us to walk on water. You ever try to do that? Like if I go fast enough. You ever run it? Just me, right? You go to the beach and you run out in the water as fast as you can. Maybe I can do it. I'll walk on water. No, you didn't. And then flat on your face. He didn't sink because it was impossible. He sunk because he changed his focus from Jesus to the wind and the waves. He noticed how big the waves were. See, as long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, his feet were walking on the water, probably not even realizing that he was walking on water at the time. I imagine that he was so fixated on Jesus that he didn't realize he was walking on water. But somehow when we step out into that realm of, isn't that funny? One moment Jesus says, get on the boat. Next time he says, get out. As he's walking towards him, we suddenly realize, I shouldn't be doing this. Something's not right here. 
And all of a sudden, when you look at the wind and the waves, you notice your own inability to do the thing that you're actually doing at the time. There's been moments when I've pastored this church and I've looked at it and gone, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I know me. What am I doing? I I can't preach. I can't teach. I can't raise up leaders. What's happening? And if I just keep my eyes fixed on him and if I keep doing what he tells me to do, I'm amazed at what happens. I'm amazed that the church thrives and it actually works. Okay, I got to move on. Peter didn't sink because he was doing the impossible. He sank because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Whatever you focus on is what you get more of. Focus on Jesus, you get more Jesus. Focus on water, he got a lot more water until <laughs> Jesus helped him up, okay? Um, and here's the other thing. Everybody will be overcome by something. And I think it's, Roman and I are talking about this today. It really is a choice as to what you're going to be overcome by. You can either be overcome by your circumstances or you can be overcome by his presence. See, when I'm overcome by his presence, then I'm not overcome by the circumstances. There's a constant war for our worship. There's a constant battle for what's going to get our worship, the circumstances, the enemy, or Jesus himself. And I want to make sure that sickness does not get my worship today. It does not. We were at this men's camp, and I was battling some bronchitis or something, and there's a part of me that's just like, you know what? I'm just going to mail it in today. You know what I mean by that? Throw an old message, throw it in the microwave, heat it up, and bring it back out here again. I was like, no, I'm not going to mail it in, because sickness will not get my worship today. Fatigue will not get my worship today. Right? Jesus will get my worship. Because the wind and waves still know his name. I love that verse. All right, let me give you three points and then we'll wrap it up. One way to, here are three qualities of an overcomer. The first quality of an overcomer is an overcomer knows what's on the cross. Can we just do it? Uh, The slides don't work that way. We'll look at them on the slides. An overcomer knows what's on the cross. In other words, all the circumstances that you're facing, all the challenges that you're facing, they are on the cross. So when you get, when you're battling the flu, thank God for the flu, said nobody in Jesus' name. But when I battle the flu, I go, no, that's on the cross. I don't have the flu. Don't freak out if I hug you on the way in today. Uh, But if I'm battling the flu, it's on the cross. If I'm battling loneliness, that loneliness is on the cross. If I'm battling fatigue, it's on the cross. An overcomer knows that I don't have to be under something that Jesus put on his body on the cross. I can get over it. Second one, an overcomer lives from a position of authority. A position of authority. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are looking at our circumstances from a position of authority, not from a a victimized position. We're seated with Christ. And the third one, an overcomer knows that weakness is a requirement. Hang on, what? Isn't strength a requirement? Nope. Weakness. Your weakness is required. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? Weakness is the breeding ground of God's power. In other words, his power in me requires my weakness. We think, God, show me the ways that I'm strong, and then 
make them a little bit stronger. And God goes, no, if you bring me your weakness, that is the breeding ground for my power. So if you want more power in your life, bring me more weakness. So those areas where you seem flawed, those areas of your heart where you seem vulnerable, those areas of your heart where you feel like you just don't measure up, if you bring it to the cross, you've just created the breeding ground for his power to get outworked in your life. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. I don't know that I've gotten to the place where I delight in my weaknesses yet, but I'm working on it in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For where I am weak, I am strong. Jesus is saying, get in the boat, get in the storm, celebrate your weakness, celebrate your storm. God, I thank you for the storm because the storm reveals my weakness. The storm revealed the disciples' terror. When they gave Jesus their terror, it became his power. Can I pray for you tonight? Jesus, I thank you that whether you're in the boat with us or you're on the hill praying for us, we have everything we need to achieve what you've put in our hearts to do. God, we bring you our weakness tonight. And just as an act of surrender, if there's an area of your heart that you feel like right now the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on in you, I just want you to give it to him. Just give it to him. Say, God, I give you this. I give you my insecurity. I give you my loneliness. God, I give it to you. I surrender it to you that your power can be made perfect in me. I, I know, I keep hearing this word, loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. I believe that if you'll surrender that thing to him, you're going to see power at work in you that you can never possibly imagine. Surrender it to him. Stop asking God to fill the void that loneliness leaves and surrender the loneliness to him that his power might be outworked through it. Thank you, Jesus. I really do believe that was me. I had moments of severe loneliness even before I met Romy. But Romy didn't fix the loneliness in me. It wasn't until I surrendered that thing to him that I met my wife. And I believe God's calling you to surrender the loneliness to him. Stop being mad at him because he hasn't provided you with a partner yet. Stop questioning what's wrong with you. And surrender that area of your heart to him and let him fill it with his power. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, get in the boat. Maybe ask Jesus right now, what's my boat? What's my boat? What is it you have for me? Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you're faithful. Help us to get to the other side of this lake, God, because there is people that need the freedom that only you can provide. And no storm, no terror will keep us from the destiny that you've put in our hearts. We were born for the storm. We were born for the fire. And we were born to set people free. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.